Hello, I'm Marissa Garcia, and thanks for tuning in to Season 4, Episode 2 of Tell Me More. I am in pursuit of understanding what weaves together the fabric of our passionate and motivated student body. On this episode, I speak with Gina Cusing, a junior concentrating in psychology with a secondary in global health and health policy and a citation in Spanish. She is also on the pre-med track and is in the process of beginning her senior thesis, which will investigate how mental illness, particularly anxiety and depression, is rooted in experiences during childhood. She is fearless, proudly first generation, a rower for lightweight women's crew, and Filipino. She hails from San Francisco, California, where she looked up to her mother, who was the one who set her standard for excellence and fearlessness. These are her ties, and here's her story. So, would you please introduce yourself? My name is Gina Kusang. I'm a junior living in Elliott House. I concentrate in psychology with a secondary in global health and health policy, and I'm also on the pre-med track and trying to get a Spanish citation. I'm on the lightweight rowing team. So, let me ask you, if I may, what are your ties? What do you feel connected to, either on campus or outside of campus, or even what connects you between the two realms? What background do you hold really special to you? What identity to you is significant? So I've been organizing this event for the past couple of weeks that centers around belonging and the intersectionality of identities on campus and how people have found community and kind of grounded themselves on this campus surrounding intersectionality and how they've been able to break the labels that Harvard provides us with to create new archetypes of how belonging might look on this campus. And it's made me reflect a lot about the way that I present myself on campus and the identities that might be most salient. And so I think something that is very obvious is being part of a sports team. And that is definitely something that I've often said, like literally gets me out of bed every morning. It's the thing that gets me through my day. If I am just having a really shitty week, I'll go to the boathouse and talk to my teammates and have a workout. doesn't matter if it's good or if it's bad, I'll do it and I feel better. It's the one constant thing that I would say really grounds me on weeks where there are a lot of things in flux. But at the same time, I wouldn't say that being an athlete is the most important part of what I do on campus or even the most important identity that I hold for myself. I have started talking a lot more about my family to my friends on campus, which is something that I never did in high school. And I think being a lot more comfortable with that has enabled me to understand the ways in which whether or not I've liked it, my family has really shaped who I am and the things that I choose to do on this campus, um, whether that be the research that I pursue or the activities that I'm in or the way that I interact with my blockmates or teammates. I think being a first-generation college student and being a first-generation Asian-American individual has pushed me to think about how I can be a person for others in a way that's not always what you would expect. So I think a lot about how my mom has been able to help me attain academic success and professional success in a lot of different ways without having experienced that herself. And the way that she's helped me navigate different things throughout my life without having experienced them herself and 
she is definitely someone who I depend on and who I depend on as a grounding source when I'm trying to figure out how I can be there for myself and how I can be there for other people and how I can best serve this community on campus um, without always knowing how to or without sharing every experience with everyone on this campus because that's impossible. Um, And I think a lot about how my first generation college student experience has definitely been different than a lot of the kids that I've met in FIRE or a lot of the leaders that I have worked with in FIRE um, and that I've gone to private school all my life. Um, I've been on both sides of the socioeconomic spectrum. I have had social circles for most of my life that are very, very different from my background. And I think that constantly referencing my mom as a role model has helped me to interact with a very diverse range of communities without having that same experience. And it's encouraged me to ask a lot more questions of people and just get to know them better beyond the Harvard circuit of small talk that we're provided with. And I think it's enabled me to form much more significant relationships than I would have expected to find in college. So you mentioned this idea of expectations for your identities and how you have so many of them. How do you reconcile all those identities? And also, how does the truth align with these expectations that others may have? Yeah, so this is something that I've thought a lot about very recently, probably not more than the last six months. Um, And I think a lot about the kind of person I was in high school. Um, And I think I've made a lot of positive changes going from high school to college. And I am kind of embarrassed that I still think about this in my third year of college. But um, in high school, I was definitely at arms with a lot of these identities and would kind of switch the kind of person I was based on the group that I was interacting with. So if someone followed me around, like going to practice, going to class, going home, um, talking with friends from outside of school, it would be like following five different people around throughout the day, which was very exhausting and not something that really made me happy. And it's not really something that I'm embarrassed of because I think everyone kind of does that to an extent. Um, But I reached a point senior year when I was like, eh, this is kind of pointless. Like, who am I serving with adjusting the way that I interact with people and the way that I present myself with every new group of people that I interact with? Um, And so with a lot of help from my best friend from high school, we spent like the entire summer before college just trying to figure out what identities were most important to us and learning how to be comfortable with that. Race probably being the biggest one. She's also Filipino. And we talked a lot about how all throughout high school we tried to not be lumped in to every other Asian girl at our school, which is something that made us very angry. And it was something that we thought a lot about how teachers could never call us by the right name. And it was never like, you're just calling me by the wrong name. It's you're calling me by another Asian girl in this class's name. And I thought about how I had to have a very uncomfortable conversation with my favorite English teacher because she wrote my one of my college recommendation letters for the wrong person because she just got us confused. And we 
made a very big decision the summer before college to just be like, okay, fuck it. Like, we don't have to, like, be on one end of this spectrum where it's either, like, we are super tied to our race and, like, talk about it all the time and are, like, angry at the system. And it's, and we're also going to stop taking whitewash as a compliment. And just went into college just a lot more comfortable talking about our families being like yeah like these are the things about where I come from that make me really happy it's going home to the Philippines over the summer and having my grandma's cooking and sitting around in the middle of a dusty street like watching people wheel their children around five kids on the back of a motorcycle and like this is stuff that we can joke around about because it's where we come from and it's what makes us feel like we're at home And we're going to speak in Tagalog on the phone with our parents when we're in our rooms with our roommates. And we're going to carry around the ridiculously large rosary that our moms give us because that is how you show your Filipino children that you love them, is by imparting them with the love of God. And I think going into college, definitely still very sheepish, but a lot less apologetic for the things that I do and the way that I am. It had... very obvious immediate effects um I just felt more comfortable in a lot of places I felt like I could sit in a classroom and I felt like I had the authority to speak because I wasn't trying to read the room for 20 minutes figuring out like which one of my personalities would be best suited to the people in the room and it's something that I really rode on as like a great positive wave all through freshman year and didn't really see any challenges or like obstacles with it until sophomore year when I started living with my blockmates and having a more solid friend group and yeah like I was more comfortable with my race and I was more comfortable with where I came from and the fact that my mom and I lived in a one-bedroom apartment for most of high school and like shared a room and I never had anyone over because I was embarrassed of that and these were things that I could talk about comfortably but when I looked around I was still hanging out with people who had a socioeconomic status that was much higher than mine and who were predominantly white and all of their parents were legacies and had buildings named after them and foundations and founded really big research institutes in the area and and also I found myself in a lot of conversations with my friends that I saw as not necessarily problematic but I was like yeah there could be another level of perspective added to this conversation and that's when I really started to have a hard time with like accepting every aspect of my identity and it was interesting for me to encounter this with my blockmates and my general group of friends because it wasn't a challenge that I'd seen on the rowing team and as you probably know rowing team has a reputation of being predominantly white predominantly male predominantly wealthy the the old boys club And I felt like I integrated into that space so well and so easily and still have so many good friends from that who never really, like, asked me about where I came from. But I would, like, drop it in conversation and they would just accept it and it was fine and it wasn't a thing. It was just, like, yeah, like, of course you would say that because that is just where you would come from. And not that it doesn't matter to us, but it's just, like, why would you make a big deal out of it? But then – Hearing my blockmates argue about whether X very high SES neighborhood or Y very high SES neighborhood was more disadvantaged so that they could figure out who went to a worse public school was just not (laughs) 
a conversation that I was willing to witness and be a part of. And I think starting sophomore year, I had to really start learning how not to be the angry minority in my friend group and how to turn these conversations into opportunities to expand people's worldviews rather than just me sulking in a corner being like don't talk about low SES like that when it's objectively not true for where you come from or hearing like my friends who are social studies or sociology concentrators talk about like how much it sucks for like immigrant populations to be in the state of the world as it is right now and all of these problems that they're learning about in class and hearing them talk about that in an academic context and contrasting it with how my parents and my friends' parents have talked about those very, very same experiences, but in the context of like, this is what our life is like. Like, those are the kind of conversations where I was like, I need to leave the room because I don't feel comfortable or I need to like change how I'm speaking and like the way that I see myself right now. Otherwise, I'm just going to feel like I don't fit in with the people who I consider my best friends. And that's definitely something that I'm still working through. And my temporary solution has just been to start spending more time with people who have had more life experience and more time with being comfortable with these parts of their identity, with having immigrant parents who speak very broken English, or with having to find workarounds for low SES and for just having to integrate into communities aware and proud of those identities and still managing the challenges that come with them and so I think to answer your question of how I've been able to balance a lot of different identities I've been asking for a lot of help (laughs) and I definitely feel like a late bloomer when it comes to a lot of these things and it's interesting to see the spaces where I feel so socially comfortable and confident to the point that someone would comment on it and compare that to places where I'm like wow I haven't experienced social anxiety this horrible since junior year of high school and I just don't know what to do and I feel like I don't relate to the people who I live with and I feel like if I had something going on at home right now I just couldn't really tell anybody in my suite because nobody would really get it but yeah I've been asking for a lot of help which has been nice and I think I'm at the point right now where I'm starting to learn how to translate that help into productive relationship building with my friends, which sounds so regimented and gross and like, have you ever had a friend before? Because that's not how it works, but I don't know. I'm trying to be patient with it. It's weird to ignore like 75% of your identity until you get to college and then find out every other week how that explains a big question mark about your life even something as simple as like why I can't pronounce certain words properly or just don't know idioms or I don't know there are so many different things that I'm figuring out that I don't know how to do just because I wasn't raised that way and I've been doing research recently on how adverse childhood experiences affect your brain development and I don't know there's this joke that like people who major in psychology do so because they're trying to figure out things about themselves. I'm like, yeah, where's the lie? That makes a lot of sense. And my professor said this really helpful thing a couple weeks ago that just helped me reframe how I 
feel like my belonging is coming along at this school. And she was like, kids who have traumatic childhoods are not developmentally bad. Like, yeah, sure, their brains look very different in scans. They respond to stressors very differently. There are a lot of things that we would say are not normal, but they are perfectly adapted to the environments that they grew up in. And now they're not in those environments anymore, and they've been thrust into this whole new place, and they're just not equipped because that's not what they're adapted to. They are perfectly fine in the environments that they grew up in, and so we need to stop looking at them as disadvantaged children because we need to keep the perspective of where they're coming from and where they are now. And instead of focusing on, here are all the ways that you're different from normally developed kids, we need to focus on, here are all the ways that we can help you get up to speed. And this is something that I've learned to apply to a lot of different things, whether that is thinking about how the way that I grew up affects the way that I interact with people now, or viewing taking anxiety medication and antidepressants as me just getting up to speed instead of me needing help to be normally operating. Like, these are things that I don't need to view as disadvantages, and I think that's been really helpful in just figuring out how to integrate different identities into this campus. I think it's really interesting how you say that it's sometimes difficult for you to bring up things that may happen at home to your blockmates from that minority perspective, especially considering that our lawmakers or policymakers and everybody who has power to make change, a large percentage of them also come from a very affluent background. And so how can we get people as a majority comfortable with coming up and presenting their stories to them so that they feel that the policymakers will actually understand? It's an, it's an interesting divide that it's I, I don't know how it's, it's going to be overcome. But first, especially to those who may be listening outside of Harvard, tell me a little bit more about how FIRE has allowed you to elevate your first-generation experiences or amplify them with a voice. The point of FIRE is to help first-year students feel comfortable here and feel like they have a grasp on this school and that they're coming into this environment just as entitled to use these resources as any other legacy kid. That's probably not the best way to put that. <laughs> we're, we're not trying to, okay, we're definitely not trying to turn out entitled first-year students. But in overshooting for that standard, we bring everybody else up to baseline, and that's all we can ask for. But while recognizing that that's the point of it, I think it's been very helpful for me to just listen to people and listen to where they're coming from. And this is something that I've done since I was a kid. Like, I'd be very confused about a social situation or, like, have so many questions about why something is the way that it is, and I would just ask uh, as many people as possible questions about it to get as many perspectives as possible and figure out, like, all right, which one do I identify the most with and, like, how can I apply this narrative to my life to understand why I'm having a hard time right now? And so I did the same thing with FIRE, and I was like, okay, being a first-gen student, Never told that to any of my blockmates before. Never told them that, like, nobody in my family has gone to more than a junior college, that my dad dropped out, my mom went to college in the Philippines for something that is not at all related to her profession now, and one of my siblings went to a four-year college, and they're all kind of just like, yeah, like, you do whatever you want. You're the smart kid, whatever. And it felt like a lot of pressure going into college because 
I experienced just as much imposter syndrome as everybody else. And I was like, well, I'm failing Math 1B right now. And I'm supposed to be the person who got a 5 on my AP BC calculus exam. Like, this is bullshit. Why am I failing this class? And I think having that kind of breathing down my neck for the first two years of college and being like, I don't understand why I don't know how to network. I don't understand why I'm uncomfortable going to office hours or why I don't know how to talk to a professor or why I am uncomfortable going to my friends' houses for XYZ religious holiday dinner. I don't get why I'm uncomfortable and I don't get why I'm just not doing things the same way as everybody else. And just listening to people on fire talk about their lives was the biggest anxiety relieving thing I've ever done for an anxiety that I didn't even realize I had (laughs) and being able to go into this year just feeling like I have two feet on the ground and that I have people to catch me if I am struggling with something has been so critical to just having the confidence to pursue research and to say things in classes and to talk to professors and to talk to administrators and feel like these are things that I'm allowed to be doing because obviously why not and something that we did as part of team leader training for fire was just sit in a circle in Harvard Hall we just sat in a circle and the co-directors James and Andrew were like okay tell us your life stories which was just hilarious to me because that is the first question that I would ask someone who I just met and I say it like kind of jokingly I'm like tell me your life story but it's cool to see how like different people interpret it and what they choose to say and like what they choose to present the first time meeting a stranger who like expresses interest in their lives but we sat there for like three and a half hours just talking about where we all came from and uh, there was one point when I hadn't shared anything yet and she was talking through just how she grew up what her family dynamics were what her relationship with her mom was like things that she had experienced over summers ways that she interacted with her friends here and I was getting so inexplicably emotional I was like sobbing in the corner because there's no corners in a circle but I was trying to make myself as inconspicuous as possible like silently sobbing as she was telling the story and I had this overwhelming feeling that somebody was finally pulling thoughts from my head verbatim the way that I'd been thinking about them for years and they were things that made me feel so isolated for so long and I was like, there's no way that you are saying this stuff right now about your relationship with your mom and articulating it so well without having talked to me about it first. She was very obviously telling her own life story, but it felt like she was just replacing faces and names and places in mine. And just the simple knowledge that somebody else has experienced a lot of the same things that you have and seeing this person as such a shining example of someone who's accomplished, involved in this community, a wonderful person to be around, academically successful, and having that example with a context of where she's coming from and how it's so similar from where I'm coming from really just helped me reevaluate the pathways that I had formed for myself to success. Um, I was very stuck on doing things the same way that my friends were doing them and I was like this just isn't gonna work (laughs) there I have different needs um 
and I can't hold myself to the same process expectations as someone who's had such a vastly different life experience from me. And so FIRE helped me realize that there are so many other people who share the same experience that I do. Everyone was coming from very geographically diverse places, a lot of different family situations, a lot of different ethnicities, a lot of different socioeconomic statuses. But when you get down to the finer details, like everyone was experiencing the same thing. Everyone had been told the same things by people who told them no. Everyone was working through the same shit and just even if I didn't reach out to people and say, can you help me with this? Just the knowledge that somebody else is doing it has helped me feel so much more confident. I don't feel like I'm a single voice echoing into an empty room of people who had their hands over their ears. Um, it helped me feel much more listened to, much more heard. I felt like I could just see someone on campus and actually say like, yeah, like you are a person who I can relate to instead of thinking, yes, you are a person who I relate to because we take the same class and we are in the same house and we were in the same entryway freshman year and wow, so many things we have in common. It was just so much more of a fundamental like human experience kind of relation that I could feel with a lot of people in FIRE that I had really been struggling to find for a really, really long time. And I think that just helped me feel more comfortable, more safe around campus. I hadn't even thought about all those, I guess now it seems artificial categories that were kind of placed in here, like the idea of freshman year entryway and all those. And life is so fast paced here, you often miss people's stories, I feel. So I loved that. Similar to how you mentioned your sense of belonging in FIRE, you have spoken very similarly with rowing and having that sense of belonging there. How do you feel that your rowing community contrasts to perhaps the attitudes or anything else on campus? This is something that I feel like my teammates and I have been reflecting on a lot more recently. We've been talking about how it's really cool how a lot of our teammates are walk-ons, which is something very unique for a D1 varsity sport on this campus. And so even though, yes, rowing has that elitist reputation about it, a lot of that is dissipated because we have so many amazing people walking onto this team who were admitted to Harvard because of the diverse perspectives that they have to add to this school. And so I think the rowing team has been a very wonderful community to be a part of, and my team especially, the lightweight women's team, because... I don't know, you just, you walk into the boathouse and everyone's outside of it. Everyone is studying different things. They have their own stuff going on and everyone's coming from very different backgrounds and family situations. And you see who people's friends are outside of the boathouse and you're like, ah, I never even would have thought of that. But walking into Weld is just, we're all doing the same thing. We're all here for the same reason. We're all kind of volunteering to be here and We've also talked a little bit about how lightweight women have to be a very, very specific kind of person um, to be thinking about training at a high caliber and at the same time thinking about what you eat all the time and getting enough sleep and being very technically proficient because you're not big enough to just haul around on the water in your boat. It takes a very specific kind of person. And I think 
it's been really interesting to see how you can have a community of people who are united based on a very different kind of fundamental characteristic than I see myself united with the community in fire where I think people in fire are very tied because of their ties because of where they come from um and what they've experienced I see the people on my team is very bonded because of their purpose and because of the kind of people they are not because of where they came from or because of who they associate with but because we're all very similar in our mannerisms and the way that we think about life and the way that we train and of course there's some variability in that between people but at the end of the day it's kind of a self-selective sport you can't stick around for too long if you don't have those same personality traits that enable you to show up every morning and do the thing and go race and weigh in and whatnot and so I think that's enabled me to feel very comfortable with a very diverse set of people on this campus and to form friendships that have lasted past graduation and past moving to different states. Claire, did you want to speak at all to your experiences? I guess it was interesting for me to hear about your perspective as a walk-on because being a recruited athlete, I think that there's a certain stigma around that. In my experience, it hasn't always been positive. It's not immediately, oh, you must be a hard worker. It's oh, you must have scored differently on the standards. Like, you are somehow less intelligent, and this athlete part of you is made up for that, and that's why you're here. And whether that's valid or not is something that I struggle with, which is hard for me because I like I'm, I'm a product of that system. But, yeah, I think the team, it does feel diverse in, like, people's interests. Um, and like Gina said, the walk-ons bring a new dimension where it's not – people who have only been training at like a a high high school level or been rowing on the world championships like we'd have those people rowing is just unique in the way that the work that you put into it you can learn it quickly and the results are very tangible so I find that the team just blends these crates of hard work and resilience and taking positive criticism and learning how to communicate and cooperate as a team I find it to be a positive part of my experience. How have you found talking to people about your athlete identity on campus and with like all the, as you mentioned, like stigmas surrounding that? Yeah, what Claire said, I think touches really well on it, that recruited athletes especially have a very negative stigma on this campus. And it's interesting to see people lump me into that category of recruited athlete, even though I was not recruited, which is because I live with recruited athletes on different teams and I am still racing and on the water and go to practice and for most people that doesn't really differentiate you that much from a recruited athlete because on our team it really doesn't and it's been kind of frustrating in classrooms to hear people in random sections talking about their experience with athletes on this campus if they're themselves not an athlete especially with lightweight rowing. I was taking a developmental psychopathology class last year, which is basically just abnormal psych, but for kids. And we had a unit on eating disorders, and someone in my section had had a roommate on the lightweight rowing team years ago and was like, ah, I think that this is a horrible sport. I think that, like, this is a breeding ground for eating disorders. I think that 
people don't know what they're doing. It's so unhealthy. I don't understand how anybody can allow this. And I had a teammate in that class with me, and we were both just so frustrated because the very episodic memories that this person was recounting about their roommate were things that just are not part of our team culture and don't accurately represent how lightweight rowing works. And it just sucks to be in these classes and to hear what people think about your sport when it's not true. And this isn't even the point, but if you would just look at eating disorder research and athletes, lightweight rowers don't make that top five list of sports with eating disorders. And yet just because of how it's labeled, it comes with so many of these other assumptions. And so I think it's been difficult to be able to attain the same level of expectation of competency and just like peer-to-peer respect in some academic spaces, which is interesting to me because on some campuses, athletes are gods and they get special treatment and they get all this tutoring and they're like, God forbid we make you take this exam. You're playing a game this weekend. And here it's like, oh, you're concussed? So I suppose you can turn this piece set in on Monday, right? Like, no, it's not the same thing. And because you can't say as a professor, as a TF, that one of your students is not putting in the same amount of work in this classroom because they've decided to spend their 20 hours of their week paddling up and down the Charles River because that demands a certain level of excellence. It is literally in the athletic department's motto. And being a good student in a classroom requires a different kind of excellence. And I think just the most frustrating thing for me in the past few years has just been a lack of respect for my time. And I'm not even asking for people to be like, you're an athlete, you need to get your sleep. We will all change our schedules to accommodate yours. It's just recognize that I operate on a different schedule than you do. And I'm still involved on on this campus just in a different way that you are. And unfortunately, I can't go to the equivalent of your board meeting my practice for my sport and sit on my computer and answer your texts and emails for an hour and a half to two hours well you might be able to do that in a board meeting I can't do that because I have my hands occupied by an oar in a boat in the middle of a river I just don't have the same level of flexibility and I'm always transparent with people who I'm working with about that and it is just kind of a slap in the face when people don't take it as as valid of a commitment as other things on this campus and People do really freaking amazing things on this campus. People are doing the administration's work. They are doing politicians' work. They are doing doctors' work. And if what I choose to be passionate about and what I choose to dedicate my time to happens to be something that you don't see valuable because you think it's just another athlete running around on a treadmill and getting fit and drinking protein powder, that's just unfortunate because I can recognize why your thing is cool. Why can't you recognize that my thing is cool too? And being... A member on this team and being an athlete means so much more to me than just winning races and working out every day. It is what gets me out of bed every morning. It is what gets me through weeks. It's what turns my mood around. And obviously this sounds so dramatic, but it's something that I literally could not live without at this school. It's something that is interacted with my experience with mental illness in such an interesting way. Like I view rowing is the one opportunity I have at this school to look at my anxiety dead in the eye and tell it no and actually see quantified results of me overcoming really, really difficult mental times. 
in my weeks here and it's just something that really adds sanity and value to what I do at this school it allows me to meet so many different people who I would not have met otherwise it helps me to be successful in a place that's not just getting A's on papers and PSETs and exams like it's a place where I feel like I have a say in the community that I'm forming and the refuge that I provide people from the shit that goes on outside of this boathouse and the fact that not everyone on this campus can respect that as as valuable as whatever else they're doing is just kind of sad um because the community that you'll find here is just as important as the community that you've made in your thing and the ways that we're impacting each other's lives in this boathouse is just as important as what you're doing and it takes just as much time and just as much mental energy and physical energy if not more than whatever everyone else is doing and the fact that you walk into a classroom and someone expects you not to perform as well just because you've decided to devote your time to something that looks a little bit different from what they've decided to devote their time to feels like an unfair way to be treated especially in a classroom especially in a school where people highlight diversity of interest and passion and are supposed to celebrate the ways that you devote your time outside of academics if you're going to push people to be excellent outside of these classrooms then you should respect the ways that they're doing that because different things have different value for different people and while for some people sports might be like yeah I just like to win things and I love working out and pushing my body for me it, it has a different value and yeah sure these might be things that I would have been able to find in a different space but for me this is what works um and rowing is what gives these things to me and this is how I can give back to my school community. So I hope that other people can respect that too. I think you really speak powerfully. Um, I, our season premiere of our podcast, I spoke with a guy, Alston Elliott, Ian, and he talked about his website that's called Ideas and Ian and it's a platform where he gets to literally talk about his ideas. But one of the key components on it is that there's a little gift shop of sorts on the website where he sells hand-sewn notebooks that he makes himself. He punctures on the holes of the notebooks and he sews a design of his choice onto it. And it's kind of a source of creativity for him. And it was kind of this discussion of he's kind of adding a very tangible element into this society that's less focused on making things with the hand and doing something very tangible, very much with the body as opposed to something very digitalized and something more in the head. I think that with that shift, also I guess aligned with the technological shift, there is less understood or inherent appreciation for things with the hand and things with the body and pushing yourself to that limit and creating excellence through your motor skills and it's that test that I feel is now just very wrongly underappreciated also due to like this societal shift and I definitely see your guys's um although completely different <laughs> realms um yours of course being rowing his being hand sew notebooks I definitely feel them interrelated for sure on that level and it's really important you speak to like a really important truth that needs to be fixed on this campus 
I am really interested by what you said about rowing serving as, I guess, an antidote to very intense, anxious moments. And I'm also interested in hearing how that relates back to psychology. I would love to hear more about how psychology intersects all that and how you've come to develop your own interests on that. In high school was probably when my clinical depression was at its worst. And the way that that manifested for me was that I could not get out of bed in the morning. I couldn't sleep for more than two hours at a time. I would miss the first class of every single day because I just couldn't get myself to get out of bed because I didn't feel motivated or excited by anything that I was planning to encounter that day. So I was like, what's the point? Why leave if I'm not going to encounter anything different than what I expect and if everything's going to be the same and if it's just going to suck anyways? It was a very banal attitude towards my life. And having to wake up for morning practice every single morning is the best part of my day. (laughs) I will moan and groan and complain through it. I will trudge to Pete's Coffee in the morning and get my espresso shot or cold brew and suck it down as I go to the boathouse and I'm still very much asleep. But the fact that I get out of bed every morning is something that I'm still very, very thankful for. And it's something that I know I wouldn't be able to do if I didn't have a team to look forward to. For weeks when my anxiety feels very out of control and I feel like I just don't have a handle on anything and that I'm not doing anything right and that things just aren't going the way that I need them to, I tell myself, if I can just sit down on this erg right now or sit down in this boat and get this workout done, it will be fine. And then I can prove to myself that I am capable of getting things done. And I do experience anxiety when I'm testing on an erg and if I'm just trying to get through a workout there's most certainly a very distinct mental block in the middle of that that I'm still trying to work through in my eighth year of rowing and this is something that I've talked to my coach about extensively and she has been working with me in a variety of different ways to help me overcome this mental block and she's broken it down in a million different ways and she is talked to me about it from a bunch of different perspectives and just told me all these different goals and every time that I'm able to tell myself yes and accomplish something even if it's something as simple as just pull the same number for 25 minutes then that is something that I can carry with myself throughout the day and starting my day like that with telling myself like yes I can do this yes I can get out of bed I have something to look forward to I have something that I can accomplish here today Starting my day like that has been the biggest change from high school, I think. It's changed, am I waking up today and just hating what I'm doing? Or am I waking up and accomplishing something for myself, being surrounded by people who I really appreciate, doing something that I really, truly enjoy? And don't get me wrong, like, rowing is shitty some weeks. Like, I was just telling Claire how frustrated I was at practice today. But for the most part, like, This is something that I can control. And like Claire said, it's something that if you put the work in, you're going to see the results. And just having that level of control over something is something that I'm so grateful for. Frankly, like rowing doesn't really have anything to do with psychology. And I'm planning on writing my thesis on how certain kinds of adverse childhood experiences can predispose you for mental health risk at different like social ecological levels. 
and how certain biomarkers are affected differently based on which like stratus that stressor is on um and that comes a lot more from the way that I grew up and the way that my mom grew up than rowing or my well I guess my personal experience with mental illness yes and it's been very validating for me to read empirical evidence of how some kid who has experienced x number of traumas and stressors is now more predisposed to have depression as an adolescent and an adult because they've been under chronic stress for years and now their hippocampal neurons are dying because they're expressed to so many toxic hormones all the time and their amygdala is flared up because it's always activated and these are the reasons that because of x experience you're now experiencing why adverse health outcome it's not because you're doing things wrong it's not because you're weak it's not because you're dumb and too emotional and too sensitive and like too dramatic and need to figure out how to get a grip on your life it's because of things that are out of your control and you can't be angry about that and you can't tell yourself that you did something wrong because you didn't you can just figure out how to work with what you've got and make that work for you which is why I'm so keen on studying interventions as well and how those can interact with the damage that's already been done or preventing that from even happening in the first place because there's no point in being frustrated about things that have already happened and things that are out of your control. Just try and take a deep breath and figure out how you can fix it and how you can make this something good and how you can find the silver lining because that is something that I've had to do in many different situations growing up, which is why I do the research that I do. And which is why I'm so curious about studying these things because for me at least it's frustrating to be experiencing something without knowing what caused it or without knowing why or with just feeling like you were plopped in the middle of this situation and you can't even fix it because you don't know how it started. And so I think by just digging into these like biological mechanisms of how something as arbitrary as the neighborhood that you grew up in is now affecting something so solid and so involved in your life as cardiovascular disease, substance abuse, alcohol abuse, mental illness. These are ties that people can grasp onto and can tell themselves like, yes, there is a reason for why I'm like this now. There's nothing wrong with me. This is just what my brain decided to do in response to this situation that I found myself in 20 years ago. And that's fine because now we're figuring out ways to fix it. And we've learned how to live our lives in this condition and it's fine. And you can't get mad at the way that you grew up because it already happened. I mentioned this because you talked about this a little bit before, but there is also another annoying stigma on this campus about the Department of Psychology and how you just absolutely refute this. Would you please speak to that? I think a lot of people view the site concentration as the easy way out. It's like, ah, athlete, of course you would concentrate in psychology. I've taken so many gem classes in that department and like, yeah, sure, so have I, whatever. There are also different fields in psychology. There are different things that you can pursue. Like, I'm more interested in a public health, sociological, epidemiological, biological intersection within psychology, um, which is a little bit more niche, but, like, that's what I choose to study. And I've also done research in how children form the concept of numbers in their head which is way more complicated than you expect because children are dumb. They don't know anything. They can't count past six. And 
it's frustrating that psychology is in this weird intermediate between social science and hard science. Um, and honestly, I couldn't speak to other psych concentrators' experiences on this campus, but at least when I run it up to my friends, they're like, yeah, but psych isn't a real science, so, like, whatever. And uh, I've definitely felt the need to compensate for my concentration with the litany of secondary and global health and health policy, citation in Spanish, pre-med. I feel the need to do all these things, not just because I like them, which I do, I do thoroughly enjoy them, but because I feel like I need those add-ons to psych concentrator. And it is also frustrating when people happen to take a psych class because it might be easier than another class or it might be their gem class for the semester. And I'm trying really, really hard to get the most out of this material. And I view this class more as an opportunity to get to know my professor and the research that they've done rather than maybe reading a textbook and being enlightened. That's not how I view the value of these classes because psych is still such a developing field. There are so many more conversations to be had than textbooks to be read, which is not how it is in all classes. In Orgo, I'm learning chemistry that was developed decades ago. I'm learning how to do mechanisms to push together things, elements on this planet that have been here since it was formed. And like, just because psych is so new and just because the value of those classes is so different than other things on this campus, I think it can fall into the not as valuable category, which is frustrating because people are doing really, really cool things with psych. And it sucks that you can misinterpret intuitive aspects of psychology as things that are easy because the test of it is finding empirical evidence for why these things are intuitively true, which is hard if it's something that you've already lived with day to day and you're like, yeah, I understand that. But figuring out how different mechanisms of your brain interact to make that happen for you when we don't even know all of the different networks in the brain is kind of a hard thing to do <laughs> and there are a lot of question marks and it's a lot of proving things that we think we already know which I think is kind of a hard way to think about it but I wish the psych department didn't get so much flack because there are a lot of cool things that you can do with it and there are a lot of cool people doing really cool things. Everything you speak to just really points toward this pattern of, to make a Hamilton reference, smashing every expectation that everybody else has. And you really take very wrong <laughs> perspectives that we have, which we really should actively be reforming. And you bring them to a front and you challenge them. And I think that's something really necessary on this campus, especially now. Did you have any last thoughts? Anything that you didn't touch upon that you would like to talk about more? Any closing remarks? Obviously, a lot of the things that I'm doing aren't super related, and I'm dipping my toe in a lot of different puddles right now, but the one thing that I see like contextualizes all of it is seeing my mom as a role model, and she is the person who has smashed expectations in front of me and who has done things without asking for credit she just does them because obviously that's what you do is you raise a kid by yourself and you're the sole breadwinner of your family and you shuttle your child from house to house just to make sure that they're satisfied and you make sure that you put them through private school and talk to them when they don't feel like they relate to the private school kids so that they can get to Harvard and now she's like you've done the work you got to Harvard that's all I can ask you for go do your own thing now and just seeing someone who schemed her way into America um, and who <laughs> d 
did not have a driver's license, did not know how to drive, is terrified of driving, spoke very, very broken English when she first got here, but was still working at a real estate office in San Francisco and was the top seller within the first six months that she was in this country. She did it because that's what she does. And she wasn't actively saying, oh, I'm going to smash expectations and prove everyone wrong. She was doing this because this is what she wants to do and she has to send money home every month. And so you do the things that you have to do to check those tasks off your list. And she has set every example that I've ever needed of just putting your head down and doing work of expecting excellence from yourself because that's what you want, not because you think that that's what's expected of you. And it sucks that she doesn't always realize that. And she like gets very nervous when I do things. And I'm like, everything you've done to get to where you are today is so much more risky and so much more dangerous than me flying to this country for the summer and doing something random. Like, come on, <laughs> you're the reason I'm doing this. I couldn't speak to it enough. The example that my mom has set is definitely the thing that I aspire to in everything that I do. Yeah, that's the one thing that unites anything that I do. Thank you so much for talking with us here today. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Thanks for listening to Tell Me More. If you know a Harvard undergrad whose story our podcast simply must capture, please email us at podcast at harvardindependent.com so we can recruit them as soon as possible. You can also visit harvardindependent.com slash podcast for more information. You can listen to us there, or you can even listen to us on the podcast app on your iPhone. As always, thanks to the staff of D&D for supporting our ever-growing podcast team. And of course, a special thank you to Claire Albert for contributing to the production of this episode. You can follow the Harvard Independent on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And as forever promised, all those links will be available in the description. That's all for now. You'll hear us when we return with our next episode. I'm Marissa Garcia, and this is Tell Me More, brought to you by the Harvard Independent. Independent.